Welcome to Shared Insights, everybody, the podcast from BA Insight. My name is Pete Wright, and I am here with prognosticator Jeff Freed. This is my favorite episode of the year, Jeff. I'm, I'm glad you love it so much. I will tell you that besides prognostication being a mouthful, uh, I'm always a bit nervous about making predictions because I'm not magic. I can't truly see the future. I'd appreciate it if you not... Uh, disabuse me of my opinion of you. I don't mean to shock Uh, you with that. You're (laughs) shattering my worldview. Uh, You know, we we should talk about this, though. I I am curious how this started. I don't believe we talked about this uh, in the show, the the predictions episode for 2017. Why did you start doing these predictions? Well, it's it's a bit of a tradition. Uh, In general, in the industry, I, I recall I was in a former life, the CTO of a place called Empirix, which was in about a 400-person testing monitoring firm, and predictions for the year were were a big deal. Um, and it's it's sort of a fun tradition, like making – it's more fun, frankly, than making uh, New Year's resolutions. Oh, yeah. I looked up sort of the general history of this, and – New Year's predictions go way back. I mean, we think about Nostradamus uh, in the 16th century and how, you know, there's still a Nostradamus blog apparently predicting a third world war for this year. Um, So that's a a nice way to kick us off. They they have a a lot of, you know, volcanoes, earthquakes, um, disaster, but uh, Nostradamus predicts that survivors of the year can live to be 200 years old. <laughs> wow. Man, that guy gets specific. Uh, I will be hopefully much more uh, pragmatic and useful than Nostradamus, although that bar is pretty low. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about your track record. How have you done since you started? Uh, Well, I've been. This is now with BA Insight, my fourth year, uh, and Mm -hmm. I will say that I worked last year to make the predictions much crisper. I got a little bit. I, I realized that it was too easy to do a Nostradamus and and be fuzzy about what the interpretation of things were, and just for my own purposes, I made. You know, I, I put numbers to stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, of the 10 predictions that I made a year ago, seven have clearly happened. Indisputably. At, at, at 70%, according to the criteria that I laid out pretty crisply. Uh, now, the other three were all things that I can demonstrate are, in fact, happening, but I, I set the bar too high and too fast. For example... I predicted that Azure would gain 10 points of market share on Amazon. And that's a lot. That's showing uh, Microsoft winning the cloud very rapidly. And mid-year, meaning July, is the only published data for 2017 so far. At that point, Azure had gained three points and AWS one point in market share. So folks like IBM were losing and they but Azure had gained therefore two of the 10 points so I yeah. I don't have the data but I definitely can't claim that it reached 10 points same with Dynamics 
gaining ground on Salesforce, where it predicted a five-point market share. And here, there's no real published data yet, but Dynamics is growing like crazy, about 70% per quarter. But just my own sense of things, I'm not going to claim success on that. Um, probably, I, I would say Dynamics gained two points, two, three points, not five. The last one of the of the misses I find most interesting because um, if you recall, or if, you, if you're not aware, there's been a, a huge explosion in intranet-in-a-box products. The intranets on Office 365, uh, because they've become much easier to do and much more um, of the pieces are available in a cloud offering, have really been taking off. But at the same time, time in the same last, this probably started about 18 months ago, system integrators that had been building custom internets shifted to making products. And a year ago, there, there were 30 products on the market. And Microsoft had done a huge initiative publicly saying, we're, we're aiming at this area. So I predicted that half of the, well, it was actually 26 at the time, 13 players would pull out. Now, it's sort of gone the opposite direction. There's now there's a, a new internet report from uh, ClearStory, one of my favorite analysts, that says that now lists 42 providers, and there's only one that I can point to to show that they pulled out of the market. But really, the challenge is it's hard to tell that somebody has thrown in the towel. They'll, you know, like if, if you decide that you're not getting traction on your product because people are p- choosing others or uh, going with out of the box, um, you still list it on your website. You still show it. So uh, I'd say that prediction, which was my number two prediction last year, is going in the opposite direction. But I'm going to stick by all three of those in the coming year because I definitely believe that the trend is going that way. Uh, It's just a matter of time. Well, you you need to add to that particular prediction a, you know, the last time it, you know, when the product fell out of the upgrade cycle, like when was the last time it, it showed an update on the page that would, that would fit, right? Cause it's going to be there forever. But if it hadn't been updated in five years, who cares? The sort of interesting twist on that is there's not a single one of these offerings that came from a native product company. They all are mm-hmm. services companies that to varying degrees have created product entities and many of them don't have the muscles that a product company has about updates, maintenance, etc. So even ones that I know are alive aren't doing updates. They're like, well, each new customer will make it better and maybe we'll have a next version at some point. So that that's a great suggestion as a measurement, but I, you know, I'll figure out how to make it crisper this year. All right, all right. So, where would you where would you like to start talking about you going into this year? Uh, should we should we begin with machine learning? And uh, are, are you comfortable making predictions around uh, machine learning? Certainly, um, I, I'll say two years ago, I actually three years ago, I predicted that machine learning would be everywhere at a point where I think you know now in retrospect that seems totally obvious, uh, but at the time it was not at all clear. I, I'm going to go further now having sort of said 
lots of other people are predicting machine learning, uh, to say that, that machine learning will become ubiquitous in search in, in particular. Right now, there's a ton of hype around this. And there's learning to rank packages in open source that, for the most part, don't really work. The promise of machine learning for learning about content, learning to rank, as well as learning user behavior and therefore making search and discovery better is becoming real. And uh, when I say ubiquitous, I'll mean you won't field a new uh, search or discovery application without an element of machine learning by the end of the year. That's fascinating. I, I've been thinking about that since, as you say, you know, uh, two, three years ago, we started talking about machine learning in this light. And uh, it, it almost feels like, as you say, uh, it's obvious, or it, in hindsight, with the gift of hindsight, it's obvious. In many respects, the the field is less clear now because we're at the top of the hype cycle. So it seems predictions could even be more dangerous. I, I think this is a bold, a bold step. I spoke at the AI conference in December. And many of the speakers were predicting a backlash that there was going to be the hype was so huge that there'd be a, a essentially it's like a market bubble would pop and people yeah. would become disenchanted with the application of this technology in, in some areas. And, and that's, that's feasible. Um, but I think that the applications, there's enough there that as long as people use common sense about what where to apply this kind of technology, you know, the hype w- will go down, of course, into what um, Gartner calls the trough of disillusionment. <laughs> we won't have a, a market collapse. I mean, it's it's pretty obvious that you don't need to use machine learning for a very structured data application like tracking bank balances or a lot of the IOT applications don't need machine learning and you don't want that fuzziness in, let's say, an industrial control application. So there are people making claims about that, but I think that's the exception rather than the rule. So my prediction will be that machine learning becomes ubiquitous in search according to, you know, specific criteria. All right. Well, you you just teased the Internet of Things. Let's talk about IoT. I'm actually not predicting anything for IoT this year, in part because I'm trying to focus on the areas of search, discovery, tracking, you know, Microsoft-oriented technologies, and not the big megatrends. I, I think that there's mm-hmm. plenty of people doing big megatrends. Now, I did similarly have a, a prediction two years ago with IoT going mainstream um, and i'll i'll note that that was clear within the year but it's continued to accelerate there's now something like two million dollars per minute in the u.s in iot spend which is double last year and the kind of applications that are happening are really broad i have a good friend that that has a networked health application that connects your phone, your Fitbit, your home echo, and to, to sort of do a universal life so that when you're coming back from your run, not only will it direct you, it'll order coffee at Starbucks for near the end of your run and, and heat up your house. It's a little <laughs> silly. Uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> both Microsoft and Google at, 
as you know, we're partners with both of them now, um, have very sophisticated development environments where you develop your machine learning models in the cloud and then can deploy them to the edge in small devices. And that's, uh, that's very exciting. So uh, there's plenty to say about that area. I'm just not making any predictions, both because other people are covering megatrends and because I, I've only got 10. Yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, Teams and Facebook and Jive? You, we, it's been a long time since we've talked about We've done a, an episode specific to this particular topic, and I know it was on your list last year. Yes, and this was something that I predicted uh, last year that it also came true. In fact, a little bit more quickly from the standpoint of industry dynamics. Uh, so my number three prediction was that Teams versus Facebook for business would become a hot battle that would wound Jive. Um, and Jive was acquired by a PE, a, a private equity firm, in the middle of the year in June uh, with, with a lot of positive spin about where it landed, but it, you know, it truly was wounded. And the valuation was much lower than many people expected for what had been you know, the category leader uh, and the acquisition was sooner than a lot of people expected. So I I claim in terms of last year's predictions, I I marked that as having clearly come to pass. Now, teams in the coming year, similarly, I'm not going to make a specific prediction. It's a huge push from Microsoft, both in terms of opening up bots, providing new teams APIs, Skype for Business is getting renamed again to be part of Teams. Uh, And Teams, from a Microsoft marketing and rhetoric standpoint, will clearly take over. And if you look, I I was part of a silly sort of tweet fest about predictions that included a lot around Teams. I'm not going to predict anything this year for the same reason. There's plenty of action there. I will say that we have yet to have someone order a Teams connector for search. That seems telling. Uh, I, I sometimes joke that my view is a, a view from the crawl space, looking like looking out from the basement at what people want to crawl. And I, I can't generalize the appetite for connectors to the appetite for the the service as a whole, but there's definitely a correlation that we stopped seeing. For example, people were stopped ordering Cisco quad connectors. And then a year later, Cisco pulled quad. It just didn't get the market traction. The demand for our Yammer connector has gone up and down, roughly correlated with people's perception about how alive Yammer is. What data sovereignty uh, you had this as number five on your list last year. Um, how how do you fare? This is one of the things that, in retrospect, seems completely obvious. Um, I had noticed both in terms of applications of BA Insights technology to go, to compliance and governance, uh, which was not our original design point, but suddenly we see people looking at, for example, the auto classifier is being used to scan all kinds of content to look for private information or um, right at the end of 2016, I was 
on this sort of ask the experts thing that was dominated by people concerned about data sovereignty, which at the time was a big hole in Microsoft's Office 365 offering. Um, so I said that it would factor in over half of the enterprise IT projects. And the best I could tell from analyst research at the time was that it was uh, at about 20%. Um, this is largely through IDC contacts as opposed to stuff that's published. I was now told it was at 70%. So that, that was happened much faster than I expected. And part of it is this GDPR, General Data Protection Regulations in the EU, um, is coming up this coming April. And uh, enterprises are getting scared. People are unprepared. Uh, it's starting to rear its head in a tsunami-like way. Um, so again, I'm not making a prediction about it this year. It, it definitely happened last year. I think it's pretty obvious that this will be a dominant force and that this year will have uh, some of the weird hype that, if you remember, Y2K had, where there's gloom and doom and, and you know, Nostradamus-like predictions um, but that right. um, it will ultimately work its way out. There's too too many people are unprepared for the scope of penalties in GDPR uh, so that something will have to give on the regulatory front. But at the same time, this is going to be a big consideration in almost any new IT project. And as the globe gets even more politically, I'll say, fragmented, you'll see even more regulations like this. I uh, turn on my tablet device and I am able today, something that I could not do last year, to bring a Tyrannosaurus Rex into my living room. Uh, AR has taken off uh, in it, for those of us who are on the leading slash bleeding edge of nerddom, but now I can also shop with Ikea in my living room and put their furniture in my living room. This seems to be uh, uh, seems to be another successful uh, point from your list last year. Yes, and I'm I'm now intrigued by you having a T Rex in your living room. It is one of the most satisfying experiences uh, that is. I have. Are you trying to get your friends gobbled up by dinosaurs? I like to take unsuspecting selfies of them <laughs> getting gobbled well, up by dinosaurs. Yes, it's true. That is exactly what I do, Jeff. <laughs> Next time you invite me over, I'm not coming. <laughs> <laughs> And I have very high ceilings, and so I can I can muster quite a uh, a menagerie of prehistoric beasts. Okay, uh, yet All right. yet more unexpected insights on Pete Wright. <laughs> how's it in, uh, How's it applying in, in your world? as a mega trend? This is again fairly obvious, and I, I I would say that it's a huge battle in the mega players. Uh, uh, I. I have a talk about uh, the arms race, cognitive arms race, and AR, conversational interfaces, and conversational computing is now part of the rhetoric from, my, uh, from Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple. So it's, it's right. very much at the top of it, the hype cycle. Um, I had predicted that 
these, you know, sort of hands-free holographic things would intersect with search. And actually, I predicted it. This was a carryover from the previous year. I'd predicted it two years ago. It didn't happen. And, you know, specifically, the prediction was about information exploration, as opposed to um, the IKEA app, which I love, by the way, I've, I've used myself to, uh, and Lowe's now has one as well that lets you visualize your kitchen and what are the new cabinets look like, uh, as well as, um, you know, there's a great article from The Atlantic just a couple of weeks ago on AR in manufacturing with production applications at uh, lots of big names like Boeing, Airbus, Samsung, GE, Dyson Group, all of them. What's different now and what made this sort of prediction come true is that all of those and many of the education applications are using search. They're letting you explore information in a much more freeform way than the first sort of generation of AR. You know, that I, I think that... Uh, Pokemon Go was clearly an AR application, but even even I could not claim it. It was a search-based application. Mm. In this coming year, my specific prediction here is that voice-activated search will come inside the firewall. It's one thing to be able to be in an uh, environment, a consumer or manufacturing thing where you're exploring in a sophisticated way. When you start using total hands-free and voice-activated things, it, you, you really need to get uh, good dialogue. And you can taste that, certainly outside the firewall in the consumer world. I think the statistics are about 60% of searches are now mobile, and 20% of them come from a voice command. And part of that is the ubiquity of things like Siri. Inside the firewall, it's roughly zero. Yeah, they have no, you have no benefit for the device to call the cloud. Uh, Yes, uh, I I would say that though the convenience of being hands-free, I'm starting to Mm -hmm. see that in customer requests for specific things like laboratory environments where you can't touch a computer and you need to be able to look up something or visualize your um, your lab information while you're working uh, with chemicals or genetics or uh, that kind of thing. Same thing in semiconductor clean rooms. So those are real specialty applications, um, some of which I'm actually working on with customers. Uh, so maybe that makes it a uh, what, what did a, uh, I have a t-shirt that says the the best way to predict the future is is to invent it. Right, right. Uh, so perhaps this prediction is in that category. Um, but I think that voice-activated search isn't really reached the enterprise yet, and uh, I, I think it definitely will within this year. That's my prediction. I can only imagine. I mean, we added more echoes to our house, and it has just gotten really stunningly smart. And it's no longer in the the realm of I'm surprised when it works. It's in the realm of I'm really surprised when it doesn't. And and that's a shift. That is a change. Yes, definitely. Um, now my my wife still hates the echo. I've been given now six, seven echoes in the last year, as as 
as you know, <laughs> compensation for you know, like a speaker prize or a I do a favor for somebody and they go here have an echo or a dot. It's 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 like becoming a currency, sort of like Bitcoin. It's the swag it's bag. The swag it's, it's bag. The most stuff. popular yeah, right. swag of 2017 right. was an echo or a dot. <laughs> let's let's talk about the uh, the uh, intelligent intranet. This is funny because I I predicted that it would become mainstream. And there I was struggling with how to really measure it because it's a perception. This this phrase is sort of a marketing hype kind of thing. And you'll notice that we were not immune to using that hype at, at BA Insight. We have a, a number of things that are talk about intelligent internet and how that's dynamic. So does Microsoft. There's a number of other companies now using that in explaining what's new about the digital workplace. But I, I made a, a little set of videos in 2016. I, I bought a new video camera to videotape my son's auditions. He's a serious trumpeter. And I started taking it to conferences where I was speaking and asking people, you know, what is the intelligent internet? Uh, so I'll put a link to these videos uh, that are on our website. It, it was very funny because you ask... 10 people uh, in 2016, and you'd get 12 different answers from 10 people. So my metric was that if I could ask 10 people what the intelligent internet meant and have seven of them say the same thing, then this phrase would have become mainstream. And I actually did that. And this was, uh, I'll, I'll say, at holiday parties over, over this uh, past holiday season, so you know how boring of a conversationalist I am at when you invite me to your Christmas party. Uh, and your first thing is, wait, let me get my camera. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what the intelligent internet is. Uh, I asked 20 people, two samples of 10, and both of them had seven or eight people saying essentially the same thing. So there, there's something about what this means and where the intelligence come from and why do you care that's now reached mainstream. Um, and enough that I don't feel the need to predict anything about that in the uh, in the coming year. Okay. Uh, on our last podcast before the end of the year, uh, we had what I, I I think was a gag. I'm not sure. I think you need to you need to check me on this. That you were going to try to do some sort of mashup to see if you could get your Christmas tree to actually tell you how it was feeling. I think that's the uh, root of your next uh, discussion point: API mashups, highlighting search. Uh, were you able to talk to the tree? And how? Uh, what other points do you have to uh, share with us? It's, you have a great memory. Uh, so I, I had this debate with. Uh, one of my kids is uh, about to graduate as a neuroscientist about whether trees have feelings and whether, you know, you can have feelings or pain without nerves, et cetera, et cetera. And I did, in fact, hook up a basically a potentiometer to a speaker connected to my tree that made interesting noises. Whether that is meaningful or not, it remains a source of debate within my family. Um, but it was really easy to make a mashup that connected that to uh, you know, music library. I, I, I figured some people play Mozart to their plants. Uh, I, I thought I could maybe connect 
plants feelings to genres of music. I, I had predicted that API mashups, which have been a phenomena for a decade now, that's since 2008-ish, uh, the idea that you can write lightweight code and connect together lots of different services to do uh, really cool things. I've been expecting that to be to to very visibly use search, and this was <laughs> this was one of these carryover uh, predictions that I had made for two years in a running. Uh, I, I made it crisp in measurement in the last year, and it actually happened. Uh, what I'd said was that the winners of some of the API mashup contests would would be highlighting search and. Um, the Amazon Alexa API mashup contest, which happened uh, in uh, November, had the virtual librarian won the most useful API mashup. And it's a, actually a really cool app. Since you are using the uh, Alexa a lot, Pete, I think you should try it. Absolutely. And there was just three weeks ago, Google had their first uh, mashup contest, the the uh, actions on Google Developer Challenge, um, and there was a search based thing called the credit card helper. Helper, you know, let me what kind of credit card is right for me, which used both structured and unstructured data to tell you, you know, well here's 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 what you should do, and it, it got second overall and top in three subcategories. So there, I I claim success, and I'm I'm gonna not predict anything related to that this year, but I'm going to really enjoy the kind of applications that get built with search. And our Smart Hub product, um, which as you recall, BA Insight released in the fall, is specifically built to allow search mashups. And that's essentially how we do things like leverage the Google or Microsoft image recognition to do image search. Uh, so the, the same kind of technique, I can smell all kinds of exciting applications. So the fact that these API mashups are finally discovering search as a cool service is gratifying. That is very cool. You have a couple of surprises uh, that hit you in 2017. What what surprised you? Top surprise for me was that you have a T-Rex in your living room. <laughs> Did you did not, not know, know that in 2017, Chad. Oh, okay. so, I will count you as right brilliant if you remember that in our in our podcast for 2019. Okay. Um, in 2016, there were a number of sort of market changes and acquisitions and things that did, in fact, surprise me. There was a lot less this year, perhaps because I'm I'm wiser or more jaded. But one of the most interesting things to me, which is a sleeper, is that there is a package called Vespa that was open sourced by Yahoo around the end of September. You know, as you know, we, we work now a lot with Elasticsearch as well as with Office 365 and, and SharePoint Search. Elasticsearch has become hands down the, the most popular search engine. It gained 16 points uh, over the year on DB engines. Solar lost uh, a, a lot of uh, traction and popularity doesn't necessarily correlate to power, but it, it really does with Elasticsearch. Vespa has been what Yahoo uses for their various 
properties and is done by the same group that open sourced Hadoop. Hadoop, if you're not familiar with it, is uh, uh, sort of the synonymous with data lakes and big data was written by an, originally by Doug Cutting while he was at Yahoo. Doug is the same guy that wrote um, Lucene initially. And he also contributed to this Vespa project, which is very large scale, very easy to work with from a API and integration standpoint, and specifically designed for sophisticated matching and recommendations in search. Uh, so I was surprised that Yahoo open sourced it. It's been a crown jewels. I'll be intrigued to see what the adoption is like. I noticed that even though it's been open source since, you know, essentially the very end of September, now about three months, uh, all the committers are still at Yahoo. Uh, and there's a lot of pull requests, but not a lot of them being taken up. That has the potential to really make a difference in uh, the high end of search. It's a new, powerful open source package. Uh, I was also actually surprised by Elasticsearch acquiring a company called SwiftType. This happened in December. Uh, you know, we're a partner with Elasticsearch. They actually gave us a heads up ahead of time. I knew the SwiftType guys, and they have a really nice package for website search. If you have a website and you want to provide good search in it, the go-to uh, a couple of years ago was Google Site Search. Google pulled that. They also started adding advertising into Google Custom Search, and nobody really wants other people's ads to show up on their own website. Um, so this was a ripe space, but um, uh, Elastic acquiring SwiftType, uh, really a smart move, and I, I didn't see it coming. So those are my, my two real surprises. Well, then let's walk through briefly. You've already alluded to some of these, your predictions for 2018. Uh, in, in, you know, let's do a little bit of a rapid fire here and, and talk about your top 10. Pledge around the same time this podcast comes up. Um, I'll have a written form of this uh, as, a, as a blog as I did last year so that um, readers who are, are, are interested can look at all the details and readers who have, you know, you know, are particularly perverse can uh, hold me to it and give me a hard time. Um, and I, I think my top one is that hyper-personalization will take hold. Again, specific to search. Um, but it's been well established over the year that years that tailoring search to who you are and your role is a very effective way to make search better in, in a way that providing facets was new 15 years ago is now de rigueur. Personalization really started five years ago. It wasn't until a couple of years ago that people were comfortable with you and I having different search results. That's now established, and I predict that that will go very quickly into something that is super tailored to you, what your behavior has been, what you've been looking at just now, and uh, very personalized. So I'll call it hyper-personalization. We already talked about machine learning being ubiquitous in search. That's number two. Number three is that open architecture for search will gain traction. And um, this is a very specific viewpoint uh, in, in some sense, because as uh, you know, BA Insight's been 
our, our claim to fame, if there's a, a real distinction, is that we have a powerful search that's completely open architecture. We don't prescribe the search engine. We've opened that further beyond multiple search engines to open it to multiple cognitive services. And that's working very well for our customers, very well for us as a company. I am predicting that other vendors will follow and give us a run for our money. Uh, I'm not afraid of that competition. I think that'll be fun. And that this approach will become recognized as a good technique for people that want to have control and uh, some degree of safety against future change. So that's number three. Uh, number four is that Microsoft will splinter their search offerings. I got a lot of questions about this subsequent to the last Ignite. Um, Microsoft, um, as you will hear on some of the previous podcasts, including guest speakers, came out with some really interesting new search facilities, but confused a lot of people with the lack of coherence. There's now nine different search experiences within Office 365 alone, not counting Exchange, Dynamics, Teams, not counting the specific siloed services that each have their own search. There's also Modern Search, Classic Search, and SharePoint, and Azure Search. So, um, there's a lot of curiosity in the market for how this will play out. I see it, and I will predict that it will splinter, that there'll no longer really be even a pretense of having Azure Search be coherent with Office 365 Search. It will be an alternative. And this will also probably be one of those areas where BA Insight will be working actively with customers and with Microsoft to make that come true. You know, not that I desire to splinter uh, Microsoft's offerings, but I'm very uh, bullish on Azure Search in particular. Number five, we've already talked about a little bit. Yeah, which is that voice-activated search will come inside the firewall. Six, seven, and eight, I'm taking the three things which I predicted but didn't come true and saw some some trending over the last year, and I'm carrying them forward. And it it's arguable whether that's skewing my success rate by uh, by just giving things more time. But I had a blog last year where I discussed the how that works. It both increases and decreases things. Uh, so so that's six, seven, and eight. For number nine, I predict that blockchain based search engines will appear, and that takes a little bit more explaining. Blockchain is one of those mega trends that you can't not read about if you follow the IT press. And blockchain is associated with Bitcoin because Bitcoin is both one of the initial contributors to the blockchain blockchain open source technology. And also because Bitcoin has gotten has become mainstream and gotten a lot of publicity in the last year. But blockchain is technologically is a way to do distributed secure transactions. And there's a ton of applications. They haven't yet hit home to search. There's two really interesting projects, one that's academic and one that is a, uh, a startup aimed at consumer search that are using blockchain as a basis for secure search that's distributed. My prediction is that these will actually come out and be 
effective. The the startup, which was um, sort of founded mid-year, has a lot of rhetoric that they're going to you know take out Google, etc. But I think that there's been a gap in encrypted search. When you encrypt a search index, it's very hard to do good matching. So security concerns in highly, you know, people that really want highly encrypted environments have a stumbling block here. And that is a a gap that I think that blockchain could fill. Number 10 is that big data will give way to smart data. And here I'm just, I, I would welcome anyone's suggestions about how to make this crisper and maybe less cute. But Big data has become so overhyped as to be meaningless. To the extent that it has a connotation, it is associated with large quantities of data. But in in fact, most problems and most enterprise problems don't have billions of data points that they're computing on the way that you might have if you're doing consumer predictions or if you're, you know, trying to subvert public elections or things like that with big data. They have real problems that can benefit from the intelligence and computing power of big data in the cloud without having billions of data points. You might have 10 million customers you want to know about. That's that's not big data. That's actually pretty small data. There's so much more you can do and much more you can know about using these kind of techniques, whether machine learning or cross-correlation, linked data is a big piece of this. If you're not familiar with it, there's a, a rise in publicly available data sets where if you can resolve your internal entities and connect them to the outside world, you've got a much bigger picture. So I, I predict that that will really take hold uh, in 2018 and you'll be hearing a lot more of it, uh, whether it's called smart data or not. There are the top 10 predictions. Uh, again, those will be uh, on the blog over at BA Insight and uh, linked in the show notes here. I feel like there are, I have a number of potential bonus predictions that I would like you to uh, just be thinking about before we podcast this time next year. Uh, first, you said that, you know, people play Mozart to plants. I expected you fully to answer what song or artist plants would play for humans. That goes unanswered. And your swag bag gift of 2017 was the echo. Jeff, what is the hot swag bag gift of 2018? What will you be awash with uh, over the next year? Oh, that's, that's a very good question. I I expect that I will be overtaken by robotic devices such as lawnmowers and cat hair removers <laughs> in this coming year, and that that will be the swag bag uh, element. As for the, um, the, the music predictors, let's make a prediction that um, – oh, what is that app? app? Shazam? Yes. Yeah. Someone will – Shazam for Someone plants. Someone will come out with Shazam for plants this year. You know, I was looking through, uh, as part of this, Albert Einstein's predictions for in 1915, because he did a he he did, started doing an annual. Not that I'm Albert Einstein, but doing like these these fun predictions, and they were you know actually at that time all about you know World War One kind of things, and um, uh, I'll say that. He had a great sense of humor, so he would also have predicted Shazam for plants for 2018. 
Well, you know, plants already have their their own preferred music service. Have you heard of this? No, I like it. Sporify. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll include a laugh track on that joke. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Jeff Freed, CTO, BA Insight. It's great to talk to you this fine 2018. Looking forward to a great year. Absolutely. Happy New Year. And uh, let's uh, love to hear from listeners what you think of these predictions and uh, uh, where you will trip me up. Awesome. We'll look forward to that. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. As usual, you can find us wherever finer podcasts are served, including Spotify, maybe Sporify. I don't know. Uh, We'll see what it takes to get in there for plants. Thanks, everybody. On behalf of Jeff Reed, I'm Pete Wright. Uh, We'll catch you next time right here on Shared Insights, the podcast from BA Insights.